0: Church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's in sermon. Your hands, you hold the
1: universe. Teeth and uh, uh, make sure the dentists are well paid in our city. Amen. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. I am so grateful tonight for my salvation, for the power of God's grace in my life tonight. Let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, hallelujah. It was just uh, last Wednesday night that I preached a message and hopefully that was helpful to you about the uh, pagan holiday of Halloween that is happening today. And uh, so I don't want to re-preach that whole message, but tonight what I want to do is I want to give you a healthy alternative. Uh, today, uh, some of you know that I, I teach a class over at uh, uh, the school where my children have been enrolled uh, in previous years, and I, I'm teaching a science class two days a week, and uh, it, it's, uh, it's it's a really fantastic opportunity to, uh, to learn some new things and to guide some young skulls full of mush uh, into, uh, into adulthood. These are 7th and 8th graders, and uh, so I'm having a lot of fun teaching them. And, uh, and so today, this is, a, this is a church, or excuse me, this is a school that is uh, part of the Baptist Church over here on Rosemont Elementary. And so, of course, uh, October 31st, for us Christians... Uh, Ought not to be a big deal when it comes to Halloween. But we have something that's much better. We have a holiday that was long long before Halloween ever showed up on the calendar in the United States. There was a far greater holiday that we celebrated as Christians, and especially as Protestant Christians. October 31st of 1517, was the day that Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the door of the church in the city of Wittenberg, Germany. That day sparked what we know today as the Protestant Reformation. That Protestant Reformation had the power to literally change the entire world. He didn't know all that was going to happen when he nailed those uh, complaints against the Catholic Roman Catholic Church, he had no idea, Martin Luther, what that would spark, not only in religious revival, but also in a spiritual renewal, it would also result in scientific discovery, and that's what I was talking to my students about, is when the Protestant Reformation was sparked in the year 1517. Within the next 100 or the 150 years, the entire understanding of the world changed. Scientific discoveries on an unprecedented rate. Not only that, the political revolutions began to uh, begin to spread across Europe and even into the United States of America. I would dare venture to say tonight that there would be no America except for the Protestant Reformation was directly linked. Uh, these uh, Reformed believers spread across Europe into England and then into Holland, and it was this group of Puritans that, uh, that paid for boats to come across the Atlantic and establish a new colony in a new world. And so we can trace the roots of the United States back to this amazing event that took place 500, exactly, 501 years ago to this very night. And the reason I mention that story tonight is because what I want to say to you this evening is that the power of the gospel, the gospel has the ability. We normally, when we speak about the gospel, you know, people are talking about a style of music. uh, But or we're talking simply about the power of the gospel to change an individual life. What we don't often realize or remember is the effect of the gospel on society and on culture. And just like the ability that the gospel has to change individuals, it can change culture, as we see in this story about the Protestant Reformation. Tonight, I want to apply that to your life and to mine. And I want to see from this scripture we're about to read, how the gospel has the ability to deliver us from being children of darkness into being children of the light. So that's the name of my sermon tonight is Children of Light. And that's what we are called to be in this generation. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 5. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Here's the important scripture tonight. For you were once in darkness... But now you are light in the Lord walk then as children of the light for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness righteousness and truth verse 10 finding out what is acceptable to the Lord let's pray for just a moment father we come by the precious blood of Jesus we thank you for the work that you have done in our lives God tonight in this church I pray that in this dark hour that we're living, that you would cause the people hearing my voice tonight, cause us to be the children of light, walking in the light even as you are in the light. I pray that you would show us the power that we have not only to change our lives, our families, our children, but God, even our very culture and our society and the generations which are to come. God, I'm praying tonight, let us see the destiny you've set before us in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say... Amen. Let's begin then, children of light. Let's look at life in the dark ages. Martin Luther came onto the scene in uh, the late 1400s. He came into a world that was in the moment of time called the dark ages. Anybody here ever done a study of European history? You will know that there's a reason why the dark ages are called the dark ages. Because there was a lot of bad stuff happening. One of the first things that we noticed if you study history of the Dark Ages is that spiritual advancement was stalled. And so if you know Christian history at all, even just a little bit, you'll know that, that Christianity took a foothold in, uh, in the Middle East and in, uh, in the, the southern uh, part of Europe uh, in the 300, 400, 500, those years there was uh, there was a great spread as, as the Roman Empire began to die in the 800s and other kingdoms took over uh, later on. But during this time, from the times some historians will say it's from uh, the 1300s on into the 1500s, but there is a, a span of time called the Dark Ages. And it began, I believe, as spiritual advancement stopped what began to happen is as the Roman Catholic Church gained more and more power, had more and more influence over local governments, these were the times where there was no separation between church and state, where in fact the church was the state, and the state was the church, and the king of a certain country could be both the spiritual leader and the political leader at the same time. One of the results of that was that people no longer could really understand the Word of God. The reason the Dark Ages were dark was because political power and wealth was concentrated in the hands of very, very few people. And everyone else suffered great poverty, hunger, famine, and something that the historians now look back on as the Black Death. It was a terrible, terrible disease that swept across Europe, and they estimate that nearly 60% of an entire generation was wiped out because of the Black Death. Can you imagine that if 60% of your friends and neighbors all of a sudden died over the course of one year? That's what the Black Death did. It would go into cities. It would wipe out so many people, children, uh, adults. There was nobody who was immune, and not only that, but the medical advancement at the time was very, very uh, crude. Uh, Instead of treating people the way that we know today, they believed that uh, if you would just open a vein and and let some blood uh, come out for a while, that that would make you better. Well, no wonder more than 60% of them passed away, because uh, as we know today, that doesn't make you better. It, in fact, makes you worse. So there was a lot of sickness and there was a lot of death and there was a lot of suffering and a lot of pain. I found this article that tells us why the dark ages were so dark. People began to practice all various forms of torture. Even in the Roman Catholic Church, if you didn't believe all the things that they believed, they would torture you until you recant. You can look in museums today and see some of the incredible devices that were invented just to torture people in order to bring them back into faith. They would have extreme executions public. They would draw and quarter people in the public square. It was a very brutal time to be living. The Black Death, as I mentioned, 60% of the world at the time died. It was a terrible, terrible time to live. But I believe the biggest reason tonight, the biggest reason why we call the Dark Ages the Dark Ages is because there was a lack of morality. Morality. The reason there was a lack of morality is because the word of God was inaccessible to most people. So how many people here tonight, you've got a Bible in this place tonight? I've got kind of a uh, uh, feminized Bible. It has some, some nice, beautiful flowers on the outside. But uh, despite its... its uh, feminine appearance. This is a fantastic Bible. I really like it. It's got some good commentary and stuff. How many have a Bible? Let me see you hold it up tonight. One. Let me just count them in the room. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, uh, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. About twelve paper Bibles in the house tonight. How many have a a Bible or two on your smartphone? You can hold that up as well. Uh, That's probably everybody here tonight. If you have a smartphone, you've got it on there as well. So we could, how many, so tonight what I'm trying to illustrate is that the Word of God is very accessible to you. If I said, uh, if I said Romans chapter 8, verse 30, who can get there fast? We're talking about seconds, not minutes, right? And so uh, I wanted to illustrate that because in the dark ages, that was impossible, The only way someone would know Romans chapter 8, verse 30 is if, first of all, you knew Latin. Anybody here know Latin? (laughs) Second of all, you would have to have it memorized in your mind to be able to access that verse. You'd have to have it memorized in Latin and then understand it in your local language. So can you see the problem why people could not access the Word of God? The Catholic Church at the time had kept the Word of God cloistered within the ranks of clergy only. In other words, the only way you could read it was if you knew Latin, dead language, and if you happened to have a copy of it at your local uh, Catholic church. And so not every church had it. Uh, To produce a single Bible in the Latin language would have taken years. This was before the printing press had been invented, and so each Bible had to be very carefully handwritten by Catholic monks. They had entire societies of men who devoted their lives to this craft of literally writing every word on down into the page. And so that means that Bibles were very, very expensive. It means that only one per city in most cases. If you wanted to know what the Bible said, you know what you had to do? You had to go talk to the priest. Because the priest was the only one trained in Latin language And then you had to believe that the priest was telling you the right thing because you couldn't understand it for yourself. Now because of this great separation between the Word of God and the average person, it's no surprise then that so much error in doctrine began to run rampant throughout society. It's no wonder then that because so much false doctrine and so much poverty of the wisdom of the Word of God it led to a lack of morality. So long before the public morals began to decrease, the reason was because people did not know the word of God. Let me also throw in right here, the reason why our society, if you want to understand the reason why you see all the evil in the headlines in 2018, it's exactly the same reason. It's because people have deep poverty about the knowledge of the Word of God. It used to be in the United States that you could not consider yourself an educated person unless you knew the Bible. It wasn't that long ago. It used to be in our nation that to understand the Bible was not a spiritual or religious thing. It was simply a matter of understanding the world around you. There are certain... There are certain uh, phrases that come from the Bible. People, it's amazing to me that, you know, when a sinner comes into the church and gets saved and all of a sudden they read something they've been saying their whole life in the Bible and say, oh, I didn't know that came from the Bible. You know, like eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. People don't understand. That came from the Bible. Or uh, treat your neighbor as yourself. Golden rule. People all, all of a sudden they read the words of Jesus and say, oh, wow, that was in the Bible? I never knew that. The reason why morality slips, the reason why ethics slip, is because the knowledge of the Word of God first begins to slip. What led to the Dark Ages, you ask? It was the poverty of the Word of God, Romans 10:17. So then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And so without the Word of God, no one could hear from God. And without hearing from God, no one would believe in God. Now, let me remind you tonight, before you were saved, the reason that you experienced your own personal dark age was exactly the same. Because even though you may have had a Bible sitting on your shelf, you did not read it, you did not desire to know what was in it, you did not really allow it to change your life. Uh, and, and so what happens as a result is that we all went through a personal Dark age, that's what it says in our scripture in verse 8. You were once in darkness. And it, it, it begins to describe that darkness in verse 5. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. See, there are two kinds of sinners. There are those who, uh, who are unaware of the Bible And sin out of just natural—that's the way of life. There are also those who do know what's in the Bible, and decide to sin anyway. (laughs) We live in a generation of backsliders—people who've been raised in church, who've been to church, who've been to children's church, who've been through the church, who've been educated with Christian principles, who raised up in the church, and yet. Because the word of God, they never took it seriously. Many times they reject those things. Let it not be in this place. Listen to some other scriptures as it describes those who experience the personal dark age. Ephesians 2, verse 11. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having, listen, no hope without God in the world. That's what it's like to live in spiritual darkness. When you look at the world, the state of the world today, that's what it is. It's a world living in darkness, having no hope without God. Colossians 1, verse 13, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Titus 3.3, 3, We ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. This is the dark age that comes as a result of the life of sin. The Bible describes it, and if, especially if you read, the apostle john you will find that he describes the life of darkness have you ever tried to live in the darkness have you ever tried to get up in the middle of the night when it's pitch black there's no moon you you don't turn on the light listen that's where bad things can happen the uh the crime statistics fbi crime statistics tell us that over 80 percent of all violent crime happens at night, in the darkness, darkness becomes a uh, in the Bible a metaphor for the life of sin, a life separate from God, and the life in the darkness ultimately leads to destruction. In fact, Jesus, when he described hell, one of the ways that he described the place of ultimate and eternal separation from God, what did he call it? Outer darkness without any light of revelation. In Genesis, it describes the earth before God began creation. And it says that He hovered over the waters. And then He said what? Let there be light. The first act of God's creation was let there be light. Even before there was a sun, Even before there was a moon, God created the light. And what does that tell us tonight? It tells us that light is more than just the physical or the the natural process of gases burning from the sun. It's not just that. Light is the presence of God. And so, just like in the dark ages, it required a reformation in order to bring light into a dark situation, so it is true for our lives. That if we're going to experience God's grace and God's mercy and God's covering over our sins, it's going to require a personal reformation. And so let's look secondly at personal reformation. Look at verse 8 again. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk then as children of light. Again, today uh, is Reformation Day. Uh, I reject the the pagan holiday of Halloween, but I fully embrace this incredible day, Reformation Day. And what did Reformation do exactly? What was it that Martin Luther, what he sparked as he nailed those those theses to the the door of the church in Wittenberg? What, What exactly was the essence of the Reformation? There's a few things that come to my mind. What he did, first of all, was he called out the abuses of religious hypocrisy. He looked at the Catholic church that he loved. He was a Catholic monk. He did not intend to destroy the church in any way. He intended to reform the church. And so to reform something, to bring it back to what it's supposed to be, you have to call out the abuse, call out the hypocrisy he found 95 things, practices that he disagreed with that said this is not in the Word of God. And he nailed them publicly on October 31st, 1517. By the way, the reason he did it on that day is because uh, it's, it's a very special day in the Catholic calendar, even back then. It's called All Saints Day. And on All Saints Day, he knew that everybody would be out in the town walking about and that they would see his list of 95 theses. And so let me also apply that to your life. If you are going to see any kind of reformation in your life, you've got to be willing to examine your heart, to find the abuses, to find the hypocrisy. Can I tell you, this was not an easy thing for Martin Luther. He would have struggled over this for weeks in prayer, in the Word of God. He would have been struggling. He's thinking to himself, can I possibly do this It's going to be difficult. I'm going to face persecution. I'm going to face resistance. No doubt he did. He went before trials and courts, almost lost his life for what he did that day. But he was willing to do it because he understood there cannot be a reformation without calling out the abuses and the hypocrisy. What about you tonight? Are you willing to take an honest look at yourself in the mirror? and the things that are causing pain in the heart of God? Are you willing, like he was, to look into your own life and look into your own practices and write a list of things that are breaking the heart of God? To look at the hypocrisy. To bring it out of the darkness and into the light. Our scripture says, be sons and daughters of light. Because I tell you, there will be no reformation. There will be no change in your life until you're willing to truly deal with the ugly stuff. That's what it means. Confession and repentance is to bring the things that you're hiding and bring them out into the light. Say, God, I need you to help me with this. Something else reformation was about back then and still is to this day. It was about restoring the personal connection to God there is that scripture that says there is but one mediator between God and man and that is the man Christ Jesus and so often the Roman Catholic Church has forgotten that with its system of uh, priesthood and confessional booth and pray to this saint and pray to Mary and in many cases uh, why would we go to the priest or why would we go to Mary if we could just go to Jesus the mediator there is but one mediator the Bible says. And so what the Protestant Reformation began to do is it began to give people the permission, once again, to speak to God directly. Because of Johann Gutenberg and his incredible uh, invention of the printing press, all of a sudden, now, the Bible, once again, could be accessed in the common language of the day. It was, in fact, the same. Martin Luther who took that latin bible that nobody could read and he painstakingly over months and months of labor he began to translate it into the common language of the day into german into the language that his people could understand and he took that to gutenberg and to other printing presses and all of a sudden now people could pick up the bible and begin to read for themselves the words of jesus And begin to read for themselves the words of God. For themselves in a language that they could understand. They didn't have to go down to the priest and ask his opinion. They could form their own opinions. The Protestant Reformation represented, once again, a personal connection between every individual and God himself. Isn't that exactly what Jesus came to do? Isn't that exactly what Jesus died on the cross for? To build a bridge between you and God. And no no one needs to come in between that. Now let me apply that to your life tonight. If you're going to see any kind of reformation in your life, if you're going to see any kind of meaningful change that leads to something good, it's going to be because you personally cry out to God. This is something that no one else can do for you tonight. Nobody can repent for you. Nobody can confess for you. Nobody can pray for you the way that you can pray for you. Nobody can can have a personal relationship with Jesus except for you. Look, I'm I'm the pastor of this church, and I do pray for you. I believe God for you. I labor for you. I make sermons for you. But I cannot replace your relationship with God. I can't do it. I have my relationship with God, but you have to have your own. That's part of what spiritual reformation looks like, is that you have to have your own connection. Listen, you're gonna, if the only time you read the Bible is three times a week in church services, you are spiritually in poverty. You better have your own Bible reading plan. The amens quit all of a sudden. I don't know what happened there. (laughs) If the only time that you pray is five minutes before the service, you are in deep spiritual doo-doo. That is not going to work. You better have your own prayer life because nobody else can establish a prayer life for you. Nobody else can. Just because I have a prayer life doesn't give you automatically a prayer life nobody can be a witness unless you be a witness nobody can you get the point tonight third thing we notice in the in the protestant reformation is that the word of god was in the hands of every believer is the word of god in your hands some people have difficulty believing god for simple things how does faith come faith comes by And hearing comes by the word of God. If you have a problem of faith, that means, that tells me, you have a word of God problem. If you want a personal reformation, you better find it right here, between the pages. The last thing that we saw in the Protestant Reformation that I'd like to mention tonight was a personal call to holiness. Martin Luther, the first time that he visited the city of Rome, he was appalled. What he saw in Rome, he, he came expecting to be spiritually renewed. But when he came to the capital city where, Protestant, where, where the Catholic Church was, was, uh, was founded, where Vatican City is even to this day, what he saw was prostitution. What he saw was wickedness and greed. What he saw was the same thing that Jesus saw that day in the temple. He saw the money changers. And Martin Luther was fed up. He said, this isn't a church. This isn't holiness. This isn't right. And so part of what the Protestant Reformation was all about was a call back once again to personal holiness, being right before God. Our scripture says it like this. Verse 9, the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. I want to tell you tonight, if, if, if there is an area of darkness in your life and you want to see it reformed, this is what it's going to take. It's going to take a personal commitment to holiness, walking in the light as he is in the light. That means a commitment to truth, a commitment to holiness. How about you this evening? Now, I want to close and speak about children of light. Because what we see in history, history is a good lesson. It's a good teacher for us tonight. And what happened in history, I'm making the case this evening, can also happen in your life. Now, watch this. Protestant Reformation was sparked in 1517. It was part of a larger movement, many things happening. You can do your own study. But 1517, remember that year? It was exactly 501 years ago to this very night. Okay, only a few years later, we see in 1543 was when Nicholas Copernicus wrote his scientific journal about the celestial spheres. It was 1588 when Tycho Brahe introduced the new astronomy. It was 1609 when Johann Kepler wrote the new astronomy. 1610, Galileo. Developed his telescopes in, 18, uh, in 1648, 1660 it was Pascal and Robert Boyle, who made their advancements in chemistry, and in the vacuum, and in 1687, about 150 years later, when Isaac Newton wrote his infamous laws. And so what we see then is that there was an explosion of scientific discovery immediately after this incredible spiritual revelation reformation can you connect those two tonight can you see that the renaissance what booted europe out of the dark ages did not just start the scientific discoveries didn't come from nowhere they came as a result of a reformation a spiritual revolution revolution a revival that sparked across the land. People began reading their Bibles and praying, connecting to God once again. And what did it produce? In both the Catholic Church and the Protestant Reformation, it produced people who began to make incredible scientific discoveries about the world. All of a sudden, they had a new purpose in life, a new destiny. They had new curiosity about things. See, here's the thing that I see. I I wonder about Christians who come into church and all all that they can think to do is stuff in the world. You know what I'm saying? The only hobby that you have is in the world. The only passion that you have is in the world. Listen, if you get saved, understand God has a destiny for you. God has a purpose for you. God has something for you to do beyond yourself. When these people began to get saved, all of a sudden there's an explosion of discovery in life, not only in the sciences, but in politics. From that wave of reformation came the liberty movements that sparked our world today across Europe. Up until that time, the only kind of government that was ever possible was nothing else except monarchy. You had a king, and hopefully it's a good king, because if it's a bad king, everybody's going to suffer, right? That's the only form of government that the world had ever known is monarchy. A king, and then when he dies, his son is going to take power, and that's just the way it goes. There's no hope for the little guy. But from the Protestant Reformation sparked liberty movements all across Europe and found root here in the United States. It's incredible to me to think about how amazing the Protestant Reformation shaped our world. It caused the spark of democracy, the spark of Republican government, the spark of limited government. All of these things were part of the Protestant Reformation. Political freedom tonight is always the result of spiritual renewal. We are living now in a world where, you know, politics, if you spend too much time listening to talk radio, you'll get depressed, man, or watching, you know, Fox News or NBC or whatever stripe that you like to watch. If you spend too much time doing that, you're going to go crazy. You're going to go nuts because there's no answers there. There's only more problems. You think you get the right guy in office? Guess what? There's still going to be problems. You think if only we could just get the right party in place and this person in that position and guess what it only gets worse you know why because the only true spiritual freedom the only true political freedom freedom comes as a result of spiritual revival when spiritual revival takes place then it will filter down into the other areas of life including politics children of light verse 8 you were once in darkness but now, you are light. Now, just think with me as we close tonight. Some of the power of light, when it's very, very dark. I remember we went camping a few years ago. We went to a place where it was super dark, right? It was out there by the river. And there was, uh, man, it was dark out there. And when you're walking through the darkness, you need to have some kind of lantern or some kind of flashlight or some kind of, you know, cell phone uh, flash that's on. You know what I'm saying? Because, and when you shine that light into the darkness, do you know what it does? It causes you to be able to discover. It opens the pathway. See, when you're in darkness, it's almost like you're trapped. You can't, you're feeling your way around. Your eyes may adjust a little bit, but even if your eyes get adjusted to the darkness, you're still moving very slowly. You're still very limited in what you can do, right? But all of a sudden, you click a flashlight on, and now you're able to discover. You're able to look at new things. You're able to uncover the truth before you, the real situation. I remember when uh, when uh, when uh, when uh, Noelle showed up. She showed up after <laughs> after the sun had already gone down and it was dark. Man, she's trying to set up her tent in the darkness. It was really hard to do until we brought some flashlights, and all of a sudden we can be productive again. I want to tell you, we live in a culture of great darkness. We're here tonight on a night where there's a lot of darkness happening on Halloween. Where there's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of spiritual darkness in our world today. You can open a newspaper or you can read online the headlines. You'll see, you know what? You'll see a lot of darkness. We are called to be children of the light. We are called to shine the light of Christ, the truth of revelation into every area of our society. And I want to tell you tonight, what's true in culture is also true in your heart tonight. When you are a child of God, how many know God will shine light on things that are dark in your life? He'll say there's an area right here of darkness. You ever get that little feeling? It's the Holy Spirit dealing with you. There's an area of darkness in your soul. And God says, ooh, right there, shine a spotlight on that thing because we need to deal with that. There are some stinks and there are some, uh, there are some you know, mold. I, I had a, in my van, I had a carpet. There was a, there was a uh, removable carpet that there's a, this little, whenever it rains, there's a little drip that comes in my window and it drips right there on that passenger side carpet. And, you know, that mildew, it starts to grow and uh, it starts to smell bad. And I did some research. I, I said, you can clean that thing. And as many times as you clean it, vacuum it, wash it, put it back, it's still going to smell bad because the only thing that can kill that mildew is sunlight. They said put it out in the sun for about two days and then it'll smell better. Can I tell you tonight, the Holy Spirit begins to shine a spotlight on areas of your life that have been stinking for a long time. And he'll deal with things and he'll pull you and he'll draw you to the altar. And that light causes you to be able to discover new areas, new arenas of life. All of a sudden, when God is able to deal with you and open up new avenues of understanding and revelation, Jesus, when he spoke to Peter, Peter told him that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And he said, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter. But you have have heard from God. Let Let me ask you tonight, when's the last time you heard from God? When's the last time you had a revelation? When God has been able to shine the light of truth about a part of your life. People who live satisfying lives for God is lives of light, lives of discovery, lives that have destiny and purpose ahead of them. We don't come to church because how, how come you come to church? Uh, I don't know. I just, I, I just go to church. Those, those people don't last very long. Those people will, won't stay coming. Why is it tonight? Is God leading you on a personal journey of discovery and purpose and destiny? I want to tell you, God has a big destiny in front of you and in front of your church, in front of your family, in front of your life. I want to challenge you tonight to be a child of light, to be a soul that is in constant reformation, to take a lesson from history and understand that it wasn't until reformation happened that the world was able to come out of the darkness and into the light. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment this evening as we pray and ask God's blessing tonight.
0: and love people.